today's guest, Julian Kirchherr, partner at McKinsey. I think HR is one of the corporate functions first adopting generative AI. I think it is probably also one of the functions where the risks are actually potentially the largest, right? Because I mean, think of the kind of data HR has. It's probably, yeah, it is among the most sensitive data in a company, right? I mean, HR knows how you have been evaluated uh, in your latest performance review. HR knows exactly your salary and of everyone else. There's a lot of very, very kind of like tricky data where ideally uh, a generative AI such as Lily or Peter, uh, when I ask them, hey, can you tell me how much Thomas earns and can you show me how he's been evaluated the last three years? You don't want this to kind of like be spit out by, by Lily or Peter. So I think you need to be super, super careful um, when setting this up. And I think you need to be ring fencing very much the data that goes in there and also the data that goes not in there, right? And I think there's just some data such as performance reviews uh, such as salary data, where I think a lot of companies, righteously so, will make the decision that this is just never touched by generative AI. We talked about generative AI, his definition and view on the HR function. Then also about how regulations can come into the generative AI space and um, some opportunities and also risks. And also about the future on how life and our work life will change with the whole generative AI movement. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Hi Julian, today we are here in your neighborhood in the McKinsey office in Berlin. Um, so we have a great episode today um, about generative AI. But first maybe we start with a short intro about yourself. Super. Thanks a lot. Uh, first of all, great to have you here in uh, Charlottenburg in our office, Thomas. Thanks a lot for coming. Um, yeah, so my name is Julian. I'm a partner at uh, McKinsey in the Berlin office. Been with McKinsey for 10 years. And uh, my tagline in McKinsey is basically, I do HR for a living. Uh, so I do pretty much exclusively um, all kinds of HR topics, HR operating models, strategic workforce planning, recruiting, generative AI now as a, as a big topic um, in all kinds of industries. Started out in the public sector, but also have done now a lot of renewable energies players, uh, chemical industry, automotive, um, insurance, banking, uh, chip makers, you name it. Yeah. And what brought you actually to McKinsey? So you started, I think, an academic career? Yeah. So it was not the, the first choice initially, I guess, right? It, uh, yeah, it wasn't a plan that I would uh, stick around for uh, 10 years, that's, uh, that's for sure. Uh, so I joined after my uh, master's. Um, I thought um, consulting is interesting as kind of like a starting point of your professional life because you see a lot of different things. Uh, but my original plan was just to kind of like to stick around for maybe like two years. Uh, then do my PhD and then do something else. And that's actually also what I did. So I um, did my PhD in, in the UK and then I became an assistant professor in the in the Netherlands. And I had actually always thought for a long time, like I really want to be a professor, so so great. But then roughly after one, one and a half years, um, I got uh, I got a bit bored in my job as a as a professor and I missed um, I missed the teams, I missed the teamwork. Um, I also missed uh, um, kind of like the speed and the impact orientation of the work that you immediately see something is happening after you've done it. So after one and a half years um, in the Netherlands, I was about to get tenure. So basically have a, have a lifelong contract. 
Um, and then more or less the day I got tenure, I actually called my former McKinsey mentor and I said, hey, uh, I reconsidered. Um, could I uh, could I maybe come back? And, and then the mentor said, well, I always told you, Julian. Um, and basically McKinsey sent me my contract to my Gracht in the Netherlands within uh, 48 hours uh, with DHL Express. And then two weeks later, I was back at McKinsey. Uh, for the first couple of months, I always had to take uh, my Thursdays off because my Thursdays were still kind of like the lectures and I kind of didn't want to drop out in the middle of the of the semester. Uh, yeah, but ever since, basically, I've been uh, at McKinsey again and uh, never regret it. Um, having come back, I still do a bit of academic work on the side. I also like that, but uh, very happy, although it was never the original plan to now kind of like yeah, be a full-time consultant. Now, yeah. several of your colleagues and you have a lot of Boomerang employees as well, right? So Boomerang team members. We have, yes. So more often uh, uh, than not. So, I mean, first of all, uh, I mean, in consulting, it's quite typical that people actually don't stay around for too long. It's also kind of the model, right? You kind of like do it for a few years. Uh, learn a lot, but then you do kind of like uh, something else. But indeed, in the last couple of years, uh, we've seen folks uh, join us, then maybe do something else for five, six, seven years, and then say, hey, actually, I had a really good time at McKinsey. And they call us again, and they ask if they can come back. And uh, in in pretty much all instances, uh, we say yes, because number one, I mean, we know these folks already incredibly well. So from a recruiting perspective, right, we don't even need to do another interview, right? It's, it's like strong they fit. Value. Exactly. Strong, exactly. So strong value proposition. And second, obviously, uh, it's also great that folks have kind of like been out in the real world in a sense for six, seven, eight years, because that's obviously like very operational experience that many of our clients seek, right? So I think like 15 years ago, also 10 years ago when I joined, uh, probably 80% of the folks we hired were actually kind of like straight from university. And now we're much more getting to kind of like a 50-50 ratio. So 50% are professional hires, including the boomerang hires. So they've been with us. They go for six, seven, eight years. They come back. Um, and I think that's also something that our clients really appreciate, that we have kind of like this now diversity of profiles in terms of experience. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. We wanted to talk about generative AI, especially with an HR context. But before we dive into that, I would like to get your perspective or definition on how you look at HR um, overall nowadays. So how do you define the field for yourself? It's hmm. an interesting, interesting question. So I think, I think fundamentally the way I think about it is, so we always very much come from kind of like a corporate function perspective. So to me, kind of like the, the HR would always be really the HR function mm -hmm. in a, in a company. And obviously that, reaches out into the businesses there's going to be hr business partners everywhere but if you look at it from a reporting line perspective somehow basically i'd say everyone who, who reports at some point directly indirect to the chro that's basically the the hr department right and then more from a content perspective we usually or i usually like to think about hr along two big buckets um there's the what bucket of hr where there's a kind of like broad range of topics if you think about it a bit from a employee lifecycle perspective, it probably starts with topics such as strategic workforce planning. So what are the people I even need? Mm -hmm. Recruiting, onboarding, performance management, uh, personal development, at some point, maybe even offboarding, exits, uh, succession planning, uh, learning development. So kind of like the full branch of kind of like uh, HR topic that uh, um, an employer uh, employee would encounter. And then second, and that's actually a topic I do a lot of work on these days, is the how of HR. And they call this sometimes also the kind of like the machine that keeps everything running, the HR operating model, right? Um, and that is basically the question of how, it's not just the boxes and lines in the HR department, but it's also how 
these boxes and lines work with each other, what's the governance and also how they work with the rest of the organization. And I oftentimes have seen or I see again and again that if you don't first think about fixing the operating model, it's actually very, very difficult to achieve great results on the what, right? So you're not going to have a first-in-class recruiting 15 days, kind of like until you hire someone from you post the job post or you're not going to have uh, the most stellar uh, rates when it comes to learning development if you haven't really deeply thought about how do you organize that HR function, right? And, and, and I think that's specifically a big question. I mean, many of the clients I work with, uh, very, very large clients with HR organizations are like 500, 600 people. Yeah. So with such an amount of people, um, you really need kind of like some structures and an operating model and a system to deliver all of what HR should deliver. Definitely. And yeah. do you also see that HR, if the function is set up maybe in the right way, that that it can um, leverage commercial results in a certain way? Yeah. So um, let me give a twofold answer to that. So first of all, when you say the way the function is organized, what's really interesting is we actually see a bunch of different archetypes of how our HR function is, is organized and really different, like almost philosophies behind this, right? So let me just give two, three examples. Um, there's a very traditional setup at the HR function, particularly prominent here in Germany. This is a bit kind of like getting into HR nerd topics now, but it's basically the Ulrich model, right? Um, developed by Professor Ulrich many years ago and uh, kind of like more than 60% of HR functions in Germany still use it. That is basically, you have centers of excellence, you have HR business partners, you have some shared services, very clear kind of like division of labor. That's how kind of like how still a lot of organizations set it up. Um, there's some newer models, which is one which I find quite interesting. It's a kind of like a leader-led HR model, where basically the philosophy is that you say, I actually want HR itself to do as little as possible. And I want my managers mm -hmm. to take on a lot of the roles because HR work is actually so important. And that relates a bit to your question, what is even HR? that actually it should be done by the managers. Something like performance management, something like recruiting, that's not something the it's manager... Exactly. Or a strategic it's a strategic function, just an enabling function. It shouldn't just be delegated to the um, to, to HR. It should be done by the manager. So there's a philosophy of like leader-led model. And then there's also what we see increasingly now, generative AI, there's also a bit of a machine-led model in some organizations, which goes completely the other way in terms of philosophy. Netflix has it, Google has it, where basically... The philosophy is like, I don't even need a lot of HR people. I actually also don't want to bug my managers with HR, but let me just try to automize. Let me try to digitize as much as possible. Right? So we see different philosophies of how HR is, is being run to your core question of what's the impact. We actually see that with different philosophies, you can be very, very successful. And we've just done a big report with our think tank, McKinsey Global Institute, where we looked at something like 1,500 companies and we looked into how commercially successful are they? And how good is their kind of like people performance measuring on a kind of like bunch of uh, indicators. And we figured out that those were actually very good in people performance and very good commercially, something like 10% of the companies in our data set, are actually also the ones that have the greatest stickiness in terms of commercial success, right? So what I mean with that is we, we figured that over this uh, 10 years, there was a 1.5 higher probability that these companies would actually remain successful commercially over this entire period of time, right? So in one sentence, uh, we crunched a lot of data and the, the short answer is if you have a great HR function, you actually also have a higher likelihood to be commercially successful. Yeah. That's interesting and I, I also believe so, but I think it's, it's so good that you have the same or similar findings um, because I think sometimes that's 
especially when companies grow from a less mature maybe um, org to a more mature org, or maybe maybe not, if you set it up in the right way, strategic, start with workforce planning, start with enablement, start with really understanding on an abstract level what what should be the overall outcome yeah. of people working together, and then deriving this into a good organizational model or HR operating model, and this can really lever um, commercial results. Now, generative AI, how, how do you define generative AI? What, what is it for you? Um, so I'd say in kind of like my, in simple terms, right? Um, it is the ability to generate unstructured content that is logical and that can be text, that can be images, that can be video from an unstructured uh, huge amount of data, right? Um, and, and, and that is, I mean, we've seen now basically in the past nine plus months, thanks to open AI, a, a huge push in kind of like the quality of this, of this unstructured uh, content. Uh, that has uh, driven this Gen AI hype, if I may say so. And that has also for us driven a lot of exciting conversations with uh, companies, but also CHOs in terms of like, okay, what can this capability that you uh, kind of like get logical content out of chaos, right? What can this capability do for my HR function? Yeah. In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And How do you see, can it change the way we operate overall day to day? Yeah. So I think from an HR perspective, what we sometimes tend to forget is, I think Gen AI, ChatGPT, it actually already has changed the way the HR function works, right? Because obviously on the one hand, there's always kind of like this formal organization, formal process, etc. But then on the other hand, there's also like reality of how people do their jobs. Let me just maybe give one, two examples to illustrate what I mean with like, Gen AI has already arrived in the HR function. So the other day I was um, sitting down with a um, CHO of a large company. She had just started her job and she was telling me how in the first one or two weeks of the job, she wanted to get job descriptions for 10 core roles that she wanted to hire. And she'd given the task of like, get me these job descriptions. She had given this task to her team And somehow they were like, oh, it's so difficult writing these job descriptions. We don't know how to do it, et cetera, et cetera. She got very frustrated. She got very frustrated. Nothing was coming back. She was just really not getting back kind of like these 10 job descriptions she needed. And then she was on her vacation, actually, in Israel. And then she went to ChatGPT and she said, ChatGPT, can you write me a job description for Rolex? Can you write me a job description for Y? ChatGPT wrote it. It was actually of pretty good quality. She did some edits and she sent it to her team and she said, Guys, why am I waiting for three weeks for this, right? So this is a bit of a, yeah, I'm on my vacation. But she was like, took me probably now like half an hour, 45 minutes, right? Mm. Um, I think it's a great example of like what uh, you can already do now with like ChatGPT and HR, writing job descriptions, a very tedious task. Let me give you one other example. A friend of mine is a, is a recruiter in a startup. So what now she uses ChatGPT for is when she gets a bunch of CVs, Uh, and um, I think from a data perspective, I would a bit kind of like question this, right? But a young startup, Berlin startup, um, maybe different rules apply. But what she's doing is uh, she's just putting those like five, six, seven CVs into ChatGPT. And she asked ChatGPT to give her a summary of what are the core differences. Um, she showed me the output. Um, actually, quite interesting results, right? Obviously, you don't make your full decision based on this. Uh, but it's an interesting starting point, right? So I think, again, a second example, how already today 
um, I think ChatGPT, generative AI, is changing how work is being done and how a lot of these tasks um, that are a bit of kind of like yeah, mundane tasks require a lot of effort can be delegated to uh, to to generative AI. Mm. And I think what is also interesting at some point maybe when you you mentioned the unstructured data yeah. that you can make something out of it. And this is also, for instance, when you would do this without generative AI um, to get to this 10 job descriptions, you would actually need to sit down maybe with, let's say, 25 people, gather information, structure it in a certain way, maybe make it easy, and yeah. then come up with a draft. And then it can be two, three different hypotheses, right? Yeah. So there is already so much data out there <laughs> that you maybe can derive it from there as well. So I think that's exactly what is needed. I think it's just important to use it correctly that you also then not just say, yeah, that's it. And then don't, don't interact with the stakeholders anymore because I think it just can um, support you in a lot of um, work that is already done or could be already done based on certain information that is already out there. 100%, Thomas, 100%. So I think there's so much opportunity, right? Like, so we try to think a bit about it in a, in a more structured way of like, what can generative AI do for um, HR? And basically we say like, there's the, like very broadly speaking, we call it like the four C's mm -hmm. of what generative AI can kind of like do for you. And it also applies for HR, right? The, the first one we touched a bit about is what we call it concision. So this basically means generative AI summarizes something for you in a smart way, such as like these CVs I mentioned, right? I think the second one is create content. And exactly as you say, like the job description, generative AI just creates it from scratch. And as you say, it probably saves you two weeks of like doing a lot of interviews, right? You just have like within seconds, a first draft, you can then you can edit. There's a third one we haven't discussed about, which is actually customer chat, customer interaction. So just to give one more example of what a client of mine has just built as a pilot, um, is they have um, infused generative AI in their um, regular chatbot. Um, and they've also linked it back, at least for one application, to their HR system. So, and I think this is a great use case. What you can now do, if you go to this like chatbot generative AI infused, you can say, hey, um, uh, the name of the um, of the chatbot is Peter. Hey Peter, um, can you tell me how many vacation days do I still have? And then Peter is linked back. It's just one solution. Super cool. It's linked back to uh, kind of like the system. So Peter says you still have 14 vacation days. And then you can say thank you, Peter. Um, could I please uh, book vacation three days, two weeks from now, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? And then Peter says, Hey, yeah, no problem. I'm going to book that into you, and I'm going to notify your manager about it. Uh, this is pretty cool. It took them something like two months to develop, just a single application. They're still using it just with a few um, employers. But I think super cool because I, I don't know how about kind of like companies you've seen, but typically like these systems to um, book your vacation. In some companies, you actually have to like write emails. It's like yeah, there's not even a system. In some companies, it's like super clumsy system, breaks down all the time. It's super complicated. I mean, how nice that you just have kind of like a intelligent chatbot that you can just say, hey, Give me an update, book me the vacation, etc. I et cetera, think right? that, that's totally yeah. true, but there will be a point at some at some stage where then we, we come to regulation. Um, because what is OpenAI doing with the data when you say, hey, yeah. I have a team of 15 people, no problem. I just run the performance reviews in, in OpenAI and then everybody knows exactly how people perform over time. What, what will happen with that data, right? So I think we need a compliance solution at some point. 100%. And I think what it will be super interesting is when you have certain companies, corporates, 
that already sit on a lot of data and data yeah. that they are maybe not aware of they are sitting on. Um, when there are models that can be trained for organizations and then maybe meta models that can work on industries or on certain countries um, to, to have certain sub models. I think that will be the interesting piece that you run those operating systems yeah. um, from a generative AI perspective. Um, that will be just exciting and I think it will generate a huge new industry like back then when we had the internet or social media and the smartphones. Couldn't agree more strongly, right? And, and two thoughts on this. I think number one, I think this data protection issue, huge issue. Um, I think we already see now competitors coming up, specifically in Europe, that actually say we're like OpenAI, but we actually emphasize data security, data, data privacy. Um, and I think there's going to be, in a sense, a positive competition of who's going to be the company out there that actually takes care the most out of the data, right? And we already see this out of Alpha. We discussed earlier today already um, that this is happening, right? Um, second, um, we're also seeing some use cases now already on company data being used to empower an organization. And actually, we as McKinsey have kind of like built our own application. So we've just launched Lily, we call it. Lily is our generative AI that basically what it does is um, so we have like an internal McKinsey Google. It's called No, and it has all of our like uh, sanitized knowledge, right? So thousands and millions of like PowerPoint slides and like internal reports we've done, etc. So it's like our full knowledge base. Uh, what we've done now is we've taken all of this knowledge base and we've kind of like taught Lily on this. So back in the days, uh, like four weeks ago, I think we launched it two weeks ago. I still had to kind of like like search in Lily. It was a bit like Google, a bit, if I may say so, also sometimes clumsy. Uh, I have to like search for a long time for slides. Mm -hmm. Now I can just have this interface. I can just write Lily. I can say, hey, can you tell me like what are the five most innovative ideas right now out there in the field of recruiting? And Lily takes like 10 seconds, it's slightly longer than ChatGPT, and then pop, 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 comes up with like five ideas and even links me to kind of like the PowerPoint slides. So quite powerful. And we've paid a lot of attention that basically we're training Lily on our kind of like corpus of knowledge, but no one else can get access to this, right? And, and uh, so this is basically, we've also done it with OpenAI, but OpenAI has like no, like they've no, they, they cannot touch any, any of our data. And I think we're going to see a lot of companies building something very similar because I think um, what a lot of companies face as a problem is they actually don't have a good knowledge management. The, the wheel is reinvented again and again. And I also see this specifically in HR, right? I mean, uh, especially, there. especially there, especially there. Yeah. Because I think HR is often used as an internal support. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think that's frustrating for everyone, right? Because you yeah. could look it up in a white wiki or just maybe have an, yeah, as you said, ask, um, as a software, yeah. and then you get answers um, from that. So that's that's quite simple, and you get it on demand. And then there is no overload of requests, and then you need to touch into the different use cases and, and look into okay, what what can I say there, and, and um, what information do I need together. So let's talk a bit maybe about the future. Um, based on that example, I just give a, a thought of mine how I see it. Yeah. I, I think generative AI will be a era of freedom. Um, why? Because I think that it will enable or eliminate a lot of tasks that maybe are not so value-adding, 
um, and it gives back time. And then we can do with that time what we think creates value or what is maybe out of pleasure. I don't know. Um, how do you see the future through generative AI? 100%. So if I take this now, so, so I agree with your, like the principles you outlined. If I take this now to the HR function, I think there's a huge potential for the HR function that a lot of the very administrative tasks, a lot of the tasks that are not fun, nobody likes to write a job description. Nobody likes to go through a hundred CVs and summarize the differences. I think these tasks will be taken over by generative AI. And I think you can free up a lot of time that HR can then use for much more strategic activities, higher value adding activities, right? I think that's a, I think it's a huge potential actually for the um, HR function. I think that makes for the folks in the HR function actually potentially makes the job a lot more interactive, a lot more interesting, a lot more strategic, right? So I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm quite, uh, um, there's obviously data security, privacy, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, I'd say I'm, I'm quite let's bullish say, about let's it. Say this is soft. Exactly. Let's say it's soft. And then I'd say I'm actually quite bullish about the potential generative AI can have for HR. Do you also see any threats that can happen through that? So I think, again, I think HR is one of the corporate functions first adopting generative AI. I think it is probably also one of the functions where the risks are actually potentially the largest, right? Because I mean, think of the kind of data HR has. It's probably, yeah, it is among the most sensitive data in a company, right? I mean, HR knows how you have been evaluated. Uh, in your latest performance review. HR knows exactly your salary and of everyone else. There's a lot of very, very kind of like tricky data where ideally uh, a generative AI such as Lily or Peter, uh, when I ask them, hey, can you tell me how much Thomas earns and can you show me how he's been evaluated the last three years? You don't want this to kind of like be spit out by, by Lily or Peter. So I think you need to be super, super careful um, when setting this up. And I think you need to be ring fencing very much the data that goes in there and also the data that goes not in there, right? And I think there's just some data such as performance reviews, uh, such as salary data, where I think a lot of companies, righteously so, will make the decision that this is just never touched by generative AI. And what, what do you think will it do, uh, do to the economy? So we've done some uh, kind of like analysis on this with our think tank again, McKinsey Globe Institute. Um, we actually think that generative AI could really give us a huge productivity boost. Huh? Um, and we've been, in a sense, waiting for this productivity boost for many, many years, right? We've had the promise 10, 15 years ago that digitalization would bring such a huge productivity boost. If you look at the numbers, there's not much of a, like, not much was moving on productivity. There's even some countries, I looked into the data recently, UK even gone down in productivity over the last kind of like 10 years, right? So you're a bit like, okay, like really digitalization didn't deliver on this promise. Um, I think generative AI could deliver on this promise, right? Because like, as we said before, it can absorb a lot of the tasks that eat a lot of time, but that are actually not super complex, more like the, what, the, the, the concision task I mentioned earlier, even some coding tasks can be done generative AI. So I think, if you use it in a smart way, it's a, you have like a co-pilot or maybe even two or three co-pilots. And like, I, I think you yourself, you can just be, you, you can just get so much more stuff done. And I think that's potentially um, very exciting. I think freedom, right? In terms of like you've, you've more time general is, is, a, is a great word, but I think it, like overall from an economic perspective, I think if it's used the right way, 
um, I think I would expect a tremendous productivity boost in, in almost uh, any, any industry right now. In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Um, do you remember our dinner we had? It was, um, I think, in June. And then there was um, Alexander Insam and Kate with his brother René. Mm -hmm. And he's in the US and um, a VP at Morgan Stanley. And I think now is really going into academics with um, AI and um, generative AI and so on in the US. And I interviewed him and he also told me that one use case could be problem solving. That AI solves um, global um, hunger, for instance. Yeah? The only problem will be, can we get the people to agree to the solution? How do you see that? Yeah. So. Um... My thoughts are, I think, number one, um, I think at least where generative AI stands today, uh, I'd say it still has some further room for improvement when it comes to problem solving. So when I problem solve with our own generative AI, McKinsey, Lily, I mean, essentially, Lily gives me, gives me the ideas that are already there. That's helpful. But um, I think the, the, the problems out there oftentimes also require maybe a new thought, right? A bit of creativity. And at least our Lily, I'd say I haven't seen so much of that, right? So I feel like it's a good starting point. It gives you like the baseline of information, but you still got to apply your own thinking to it to really make it unique and to make it something that's, uh, that uh, yeah, is a new angle of, 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 of solving this, right? So I think that's the, the, the first thought here. Um, second, I think you're making a great point on the alignment, right? Because obviously the alignment I don't see how generative AI at any point kind of like would take that over, right? Almost like the the politics of getting everyone on the same page, right? I'm sure if I ask Lily now, uh, she has a long list of like 14 points I should do, but I mean, the reality is much more messy and much more yeah. complex. So I, I like it, I think for that, right? To get people on the same page, um, yeah, I, I like, um, I think that's completely out of the realms of what generative AI will ever do, right? So yeah, they, they will always just stay, right? Even now, I think now we have a lot of good solutions, more people there who would actually know what to do to um, fight the climate change problem and everything. But yeah. can you agree to do so? Correct. So Correct. that's the that's piece. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. I think that's a, a great wrap up. So um, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I'm, as I said before, uh, I'm quite bullish regarding the potential of uh, generative AI for companies, uh, for the HR function, uh, for what it will also do for entrepreneurship, by the way, maybe as a, as a final thought, I think we're going to see a, a bunch of companies now that are basically one-man shows or one-woman shows, because right? um, people just kind of like use AI as a co-pilot yeah. and uh, kind of like have Gen AI then almost kind of like as, a, as an employee. So I think exciting times ahead. Um, I think right now we're in this hype phase of where everyone thinks like everything's going to change. I think, uh, and I also see it now in, in some of the pilots, it's cool what generative AI can do. It, it, it's um, it's um, something I think to this extent we haven't expected before. I think we're also going to have a phase where we also realize it's not solving all of the world's problems. World hunger probably not going to be solved uh, thanks to it. But, but I am positive that actually generative AI as a, as a 
technology or as a buzzword, uh, if, if we put it like even more broadly, I think it's going to change the way we work a lot more than kind of like the buzzwords we've seen last 10, 15, 20 years, like digitalization, digital transformation, the automation, RPA. My sense is, and already because I, I see it happening today, I think this one is going to is going to change more. But uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, tasks still ahead for all of us, uh, despite generative AI. Yeah. And who is a guest that you know, I don't know, I should interview next? Great question. I think, um, I'm not sure if you had an academic no. on your podcast yet, but uh, there's a fantastic research program at the University of Oxford, the Future of Work program at the University of Oxford. Mm -hmm. They've put out some very famous papers in the 2010s. Probably you've heard some of the data like, Uh, 40% of jobs are kind of like going to fundamentally change. Everything's getting automated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I know they're doing a lot of like research now, deep research on how generative AI is going to fundamentally change the workplace. Um, I think that could be, could be actually an interesting, um, angle to this because I mean, now we've taken very much the company perspective and the anecdotal perspective of like what we've seen. Then obviously a researcher looks at this at a much more of a, of a macro level. So I think that could be could be something interesting. And uh, by chance, I happen to know the leader of this research program. So happy to uh, to introduce you. Yeah. But I think that could be actually a very very different angle in your in your podcast. If he or she is mm -hmm. up to it, I'm definitely up to it. Nice. I'll uh, I'll send out an email uh, today, and then uh, maybe that's your next podcast guest. Huh? Yes. Cool. Thanks.